Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Next Year Amigos podcast. Um, we're, we're here with Nick Mark uh, from Seattle, who's an intensivist there. And we're going to talk around tocilizumab, the anti-IL-6 antibody uh, in use in COVID patients. Nick, thanks for joining us. If you could introduce yourself. Yeah, it's great to be here. My name is Nicholas Mark. I'm a pulmonary critical care specialist in Seattle, Washington. And as such, I've been on the front lines of this for a few weeks now. So I've seen a couple of patients with this. Um, I think one of the challenges of treating COVID has been that we don't know a lot about it. Um, we know how to take good care of ICU patients with ARDS, but we don't really know what the disease-specific treatments are. Um, one of the exciting disease-specific treatments is tocilizumab, and I think we're going to talk about that a bit more. But just to give you some context on it, it's a humanized monoclonal antibody that blocks the IL-6 receptor, exerting an anti-inflammatory effect. Um, it was approved for rheumatologic conditions. But in the ICU, we've used it for years for a couple of these sort of rarer extreme inflammation diseases. So for example, multicentric Castleman's disease, Kicks, which is a Kaposi sarcoma related inflammation, and then more recently for cytokine release syndrome in patients who receive CAR T cells. So it's, it's a drug that's, uh, that's becoming increasingly known to us taking care of critically ill oncology patients. And can you paint in broad strokes its utility across those indications? I know that's a bit hard, but yeah, um, useful, not useful, toxic, et cetera. So the you know I, when I was a when I was a fellow at the University of Washington, when a lot of the the early work on CAR T cells was being done, we started seeing patients in the ICU who were very sick, either um, hemodynamically unstable or with neurological symptoms related to cytokine release syndrome. And one of the hallmarks of CRS is very high levels of IL-6. And so based on, based on this observation about the cytokine profile, some very smart oncology colleagues of mine had the idea to try IL-6 blockade. And the effect was fairly remarkable. So we saw patients defervesce, their hemodynamics got better, uh, and they survived. And this has been published and replicated a couple of times now. There's some good work in uh, the New England Journal and JAMA about the early CAR T-cell experience. Um, we also know in those other conditions like uh, kicks, which is Carposi sarcoma inflammatory cytokine syndrome, it, it can have a very dramatic effect there as well. Um, and I think it may be the only approved indication for treating some of those complications. So it sounds like some fairly broad utility across other inflammatory states. So let's, let's talk about it specifically in COVID now. I read a report out of China, uncontrolled 20 patients. And you know, with all the normal cautions about these early reports, um, I think you're probably aware of those data as well. If you could just sort of take us through what that showed. Yeah, so let's, let's break it down. What do we know about IL-6 in COVID? So the, there was a Lancet paper by Joe et al. where they looked at IL-6 levels in patients with COVID-19. They found that IL-6 levels were elevated and that they were more elevated in non-survivors than in survivors. And this has been replicated since. Um, there have, there's also been some experimental work done in China with blocking the IL-6 receptor. Um, so there's been one non-peer-reviewed preprint of an uncontrolled 20-person study, uh, which found that if you give people with proven, co proven, proven COVID infection, uh, tocilizumab, they had a reduced oxygen consumption or reduced need for supplemental O2 and, in, and uh, defervescence fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. um, as far yeah, like, like ahead. within a day, that, that graph that shows their defervescence is pretty incredible. Which is, which is dramatic. Um, yeah. There's a couple, there's a couple of things that are, you know, important caveats to this other than the fact that it's 
non not yet published not yet peer reviewed small n non randomized um <laughs> and those are caveats um, <laughs> other than all that other than those things um it's like the uh and uh, mrs lincoln how is the rest of the show <laughs> um the the other concerns about this is that these were these were compared to the patients that we're seeing in the ICU. These were relatively well patients. I think of the twenty okay. patients, only two or three of them were intubated. Um, so most of these patients were on supplemental oxygen, but but they had not yet progressed to respiratory failure. That's it. and so that gets us. Sorry to interrupt. That gets us to a question. Tom Powell is here. Also, he asked it before we started recording about. If, if you had a, a guess on the timing of intervention, it's a very expensive drug. It's not without side effects, needs to be given in a controlled setting. And so given the, the continuum, the time course of what you're seeing for these patients and how quickly they can get sick, is there an ideal time to use it? You know, when is too early and when is too late, I guess, is the other way to ask that. And, and the only answer to that question is, is I don't know. And I don't, I don't think anyone knows. I, you know, theoretically, mm -hmm. I, can see, I can see an advantage to giving it early because it potentially could prevent people from getting sicker. Um, on the other hand, giving it to unselected patients, you may cause more harm than benefit overall because many of mm -hmm. those patients may never need it. Uh, so I think we need studies to tell us. And is it true that the, I mean, the, the, the morbidity and maybe the mortality from COVID is, is lung inflammation? Is that fair to say? So, Do we know that? So I think, I think that, that literature is still emerging. Uh, there was a case series by um, some colleagues of mine at a nearby hospital here in Washington State that was just published in JAMA that talks through their experience of treating the first 20 or so patients with COVID-19 in the United States. And they had a very high mortality. It was over 50%. And that mortality basically came down to, to um, two things from what I'm hearing. One is progressive hypoxemic respiratory failure, essentially mm -hmm. ARDS that causes um, hypoxia that cannot be corrected. The other is cardiomyopathy. And the cardiomyopathy is, is still a bit uh, enigmatic, I would say. We're not, we're not exactly clear whether it's a direct consequence of virus or whether it is just a sequela of people who are critically ill for a prolonged period who have underlying risk factors. We, we still don't know. There's some preliminary work out of China where they did not see virus in heart of autopsy patients, but they did see um, inflammation. Um, I think, I think the, the, the jury is very much still out on that question. The reason why it's important, though, is potentially if you could limit inflammation, it may help with both of those sequelae of COVID, both with lung inflammation leading to ARDS right. and with um, cardiac inflammation leading to cardiomyopathy. Uh, but nobody really knows. Yeah, that's... So, so on that basis, you mentioned IL-6, which is obviously the proximate target of this antibody. Um, IL-6 levels aren't necessarily easy to obtain in a hospital setting. I know ours at Vanderbilt are send out, I believe. And so... I guess the question is, when I asked you about timing, I guess ideally you'd monitor people's IL-6 levels daily, and then it, when it went above a certain threshold, you'd institute this. That's probably not practical uh, in real time across the country. What about C-reactive protein? I've, I know the Chinese report mentioned, I believe that all patients had an elevated CRP, and they were using that as a, a quote-unquote surrogate for IL-6. Do you have any experience with that? So patients with COVID do, do in my experience, have elevated CRP um, and other inflammatory markers. I guess one challenge is I don't, personally, I just don't know how well other markers of inflammation correlate with IL-6. 
even if we had a way to yeah. easily and quickly check IL-6, uh, I don't think anybody has a sense of what the proper threshold is, you know, what the, mm -hmm. you know, how high is high enough. Um, I think the, there's the, the Ch uh, Chinese National Health Commission recommends using tocilizumab for patients with respiratory failure and elevated IL-6, but I couldn't find what the definition of that is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's anything above normal, but I agree with you. It's, it's, it's probably different in different labs. So, so in Seattle, when you have a patient present, um, do, you, do you have a standard pathway? And if so, where does TOSI or other IL-6 antibodies fit into that? So I don't want to talk about specific patients, but I think what, what, what I and a lot of my colleagues are doing is we're, we're considering TOSI in patients who have proven COVID and shock, with the idea being that okay. when you see those other manifestations of it, it's appropriate to consider IL-6 blockade. And this might be in a pre-ventilated setting. So my perspective as an intensivist is or... a bit skewed towards the the intubated patients. Sure, <laughs> um, but I, I I think there are there are people who are giving it for people who are in shock but not yet intubated. Okay, but it sounds like most of the use is skewed towards that in shock and intubated population. And and you know, to the question earlier, if that's if that's too late, I mean, there probably is a critical level of inflammation that once people get to, they're never going to recover from despite, you know, every different mechanistic anti-inflammatory in the world. Right. I mean, that's we don't know that, but I'm just sort of hypothesizing that that's the case. Yeah, that, that seems, to, that so seems the, to be the experience that that many people who progress to uh, severe ARDS do not recover from this condition. But I think you know we're still yeah. in the early phases and most of the patients that we've seen initial in the initial waves have come from places like nursing homes. So they have many comorbidities. So a priori, right. their risk of mortality may be higher. Sure. So but probably I think what we're landing on, there's probably a sweet spot to deliver this drug, you know, either based on IL-6 levels or some sort of clinical features, but we're probably a ways away from identifying that sweet spot. Right. And so let's just wrap up talking about uh, prospective clinical trials. And so I'm aware of Genentech announced a few days ago, they're doing a large placebo-controlled randomized trial. And to my knowledge, it's in hospitalized patients who are hypoxic, who have some um, finding of pneumonia on x-ray. I believe it's uh, two-to-one randomization versus placebo. Um, and then I know there's an Italian single-arm study of about 300 patients. Um, and I, like most people, I'm getting my information from Twitter these <laughs> days. So I think I, I saw that somewhere there and somebody even posted the protocol. Um, what are you aware of that's going on in addition to those or, or including those? So I, I know of I know that there are a few more studies than that because I just searched clinicaltrials.gov and I saw four out of 81 listed studies for COVID that involved um, either as the either for one arm of many or for just a single arm using some sort of IL-6 blocker. And it's worth noting that there are other drugs in this class. So tocilizumab, I believe, was the first but there's another one, um, cerilumab, and there's another one as well that I, I, the name escapes me. Yeah, so some, and obviously those trials are, are just starting. I'm not even sure if any are accruing yet. So it'll be, you know, weeks to months before we have data. Um, but it sounds like it's getting some use in the meantime. I know at Vanderbilt, we're, we have it built into our quote unquote pathway of how to treat these people, which is still very much a work in progress. And I, we're trying to do our best to, to rigorously collect data you know, and not just sort of do it anecdotally mm -hmm. here and there. So at least before the trials report out, we might have some sort of, um, I don't want to say controlled, but, but some sort of good data set upon which to judge. And if, if people are doing it nationwide, 
uh, were involved in a national registry. You guys are mm-hmm. included if you didn't know about these COVID positive patients. So hopefully we can get some some information that way as well. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a couple other things that are worth noting about this. I mean, this this drug does have side effects, but we're giving this in a monitored setting. Um, and that, to, to my mind, is a little bit different than just giving people a medication like chloroquine out in the community, which I think is, is not a reasonable or responsible recommendation. Um, so as far as the investigational therapies go, I think there's more evidence behind this than some of the others. And it's being done in a way which is a little more responsible. I think the manufacturer has also said that they have a sufficient supply. Yeah, and I... So on our previous podcast, we talked about hydroxychloroquine, um, and, and I agree with you. It's gotten out of control. Uh, it's gotten kind of away from our drug development principles into we should be using this for everybody in every circumstance, and that's just not a viable way to, to develop drugs. That's, you know, a separate editorial, I suppose. But but I, I guess the good news about, you know, TOSI is because it's intravenous, obviously it's going to be given in a hospital because it tends to be used for sicker patients, it's going to be a little more controlled, probably ICU setting. And so I think, I think at the end of the day, we'll be smarter about that drug than maybe some of these oral drugs that are, are you know, being, uh, being pushed out there. But um, these are interesting times, rapid drug development. Um, so I want to thank you for joining. I think we lost Tom. He texted me. I think he's talking, but we can't hear him, which, trust me, is usually a blessing. <laughs> um, but I think we've covered most of it. Most of it, if you just want to maybe give give us a, a summary statement or two about about TOSI, where it stands and, and what you see for the so, future. Yeah, to summarize what we know about TOSI, uh, we don't we don't really know a lot. Um, we know that in similar inflammatory conditions like cytokine release syndrome, where there's an increase in IL-6, blocking the IL-6 receptor with a drug like TOSI works pretty well to attenuate disease. We know that IL-6 levels are increased in COVID, and we know that some people, such as in China, have had a positive experience using tocilizumab in selected patients with COVID. What we don't know is exactly which patients, exactly when. Um, so I think, I think you know, stay tuned for more. The good news is we're doing several trials, and we may find out that answer quickly because the, the evidence seems to be evolving fast in the, in the era of COVID. Yeah. No, no question about it. I've been involved with drug development for 20 years and the pace of this development is, is frenetic, you know, in a good way and a right. bad way. So, hey, thanks for joining us. Thanks really for having appreciate me. It. Maybe we'll do a follow, great. Up, follow up in a few weeks, hopefully when we have yeah. some more data. Um, one, one final note, I'll just say that, you know, my wife is an oncologist, a hematologist oncologist. And when I told her that I was talking to y'all on uh, Your Amigos podcast, she was like, what world are we living in? Where you're talking, where you're talking to GU oncologists about tocilizumab. Yeah. Yes, so, exactly. Well, so well we live in strange times, but it's it's a pleasure to be here chatting with you guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take care. Nick. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.